This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Welcome along everyone to episode 151 of the ABZ Football Podcast live and I'm Gary Scott and despite the official football monitoring board going missing we've got our very own AFC MB here tonight formed by Gavin J Baxter and Mark Simpson. Gents, how's it going? Uh, yeah, alright. Yeah. So positive Mark, so positive. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day isn't it? We're here at the end of January and our season is all but been sabotaged, but it's all right, we've got another sound midfielder. It's exactly <laughs> a year to the day eh? since Jim Goodwin was louping a fucking advertising hoarding at Easter Road. But um, yeah, so we've got the three of us back in the saddle for this one. We're going to look back on that defeat to Hearts on Saturday afternoon. We'll then turn our attentions to the latest news from AB24 this week. We'll check in with the Quines uh, as they return to SWPL1 action this afternoon. And then we'll check in with our Loonies. And then later on, we will also bring our preview of... Tuesday's visit of Dundee to Pataudry. I see a decent number of folk already in the live stream into the chat. If you've got any questions, guys, also just fire in as we go. We'll try and address them as best we can. But let's get starting by looking back on yesterday's game. Hearts 2, Aberdeen 0. Saturday, the 27th of January, 2024, at Tynecastle Park in the Cinch. Just the one in force change to our starting lineup with Rubicic out, Jensen coming in. Somewhat surprising, maybe, um, to see that with no other changes coming in after what had been a disappointing performance against St. John's in the midweek. Um, I don't really want to go too much into that kind of blow-by-blow account of the game itself. We all saw it. We all know what it looked like. Obviously, the, the big talking point in the first half was the fantastic finish from Boya Miofsky that was then ruled out after a VAR check for a, a clip on Beningame's heels by possibly Miofsky, possibly a Hearts, but it's kind of hard to tell with some of the angles that you see there. That's the big talking point. VAR doing a dirty on us this week after we lucked out a little bit in midweek. Halftime 0-0 in the second half. We, we made a decent start against second half, I thought. But despite all of that, is in the most typical of Aberdeen fashions, Hearts grabbing an ill-deserved lead as Devlin was penalised for a handball after a bar review. Grant sending Roos the wrong way from the penalty spot. Who'd have thunk it? Tell you what, that is a goalkeeper that loves making it easy for the penalty taker, isn't he? He really does. He really does. Um, in the aftermath of that, Dukon for Provada, we moved to kind of 4-2-3-1. Shanklin then with an effort from distance that Roos palmed wide. And at this point, we just seemed to kind of like shit the bed a little bit. Soakler and Morris on for Baron McGrath. The system went out the window. We went to kind of 4-2-4. Suddenly then another change really quickly. Gartman off for the knock for McDonald. And then after that, game over. Shanklin finishing with the outside of the boot. 
from the edge of the box. That was that. A couple more chances for Hearts as well towards the back end of the game, but they sought out comfortably to win it 2-0 on the data front. 54% possession for Hearts, 46% to ourselves. Shots on target, 5 for the Jambos, just the 1 for ourselves. Expected goals, 1.43, 2.85-for... The visitors. So, gents, that's a quick rattle through the game itself. Like I said, I don't want to do too much on it. Um, so I want to really get into the, the nitty-gritty of the whole thing. Let's just go right back to the start there, the lineup. Um, Mark, were you kind of surprised to see only just the one change from the, the performance on Wednesday night? Um, not really. I mean, obviously, Rubicic was, was obviously going to be out after he... Did his, well, what appears to be judged by Boya Majowski's Instagram. I think he's done his knee because he had one of those traction braces on. Um, I was surprised it wasn't McDonald, but then I also wasn't surprised it, it wasn't it, it wasn't McDonald because we know Robson's view on him. Um, so, no, not, not really. I mean, I would have liked to have seen a bit of width. I think I messaged uh, one of you guys before before the game saying, Barry Robson's girthy reds um, because there's just no, no width in the team. Um, but, nah. Barry Robson's pencil dick reds. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, no, I mean, I would, I would have liked to have seen a Duke or a Morris or just even the 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 five midfielders on the pitch. I don't know, maybe McGrath plays a little bit more on the right just to give us a little bit of an out ball, but not a surprise. No, not really. Gav, for you, any surprises in that starting lineup? So I'm just looking at the chat as well. Mix who's asking was the barber doing a three for one deal on beard trimming? Um, it's actually quite good. I like that. That was good. If he was, we're not. We didn't go to the same barbers. That's for, that's for sure. But Gav, <laughs> the lineup. Yes. Any surprises for you with the fact that it was just the one change? Um, much like Mark. Yeah, I largely expected he would go with the exact same lineup with the one enforced change of Rubizic out, and it didn't surprise me that Richard Jensen uh, came in. The only thing that surprised me is that when Gartman went off, that he didn't just ship Nicky Devlin in the centre back and put Jack Milne yeah. right wing back instead, because that seems to be the uh, seems so adverse to putting Angus McDonald in this team, uh, no matter what. I think that'll be you know the next change, uh, given that Gartman went off injured. Otherwise, yeah, no, I'm not surprised he didn't go with a more attacking uh, selection. I think he was going always going to go with a team that would be in theory uh, solid. Uh, provide that kind of defensive coverage that we saw in the European games especially. And I guess try and pose a bit of a threat. Um, so yeah, uh, given his stubbornness, no, not at least but surprised. Neither of you surprised perhaps with the personnel, but we surprised by the setup. Because I mean, I, I actually was. I was convinced we were going to see a return to the back three yesterday. Um, so I was a little bit surprised to see us still learning, lining up with the back four. I think we Matilda Gavin, we spoke about this before the St. Johnston game. And yes. I think we'd all said at the time, um, if he goes back to the back five, okay, possibly with the, the exception of the old firm, but against anybody else in the league, he's going to get absolutely crucified. Um, so I didn't see that happening. The, I actually think we, we played, the setup worked for the first half hour. I thought we were really, really decent for the first half hour. Um, so whatever he did, which would have been the same as the last few games because that's the Robson way. There is no plan B, it's just plan A. Um, I I assume he thought it, it, it would work. Um, I don't think the back five's going to... I mean, maybe it, it will come back now because maybe he's been justified in saying that a back five worked because, Luke, we, were t- we lost the game on Saturday, we didn't win on Wednesday, the back five's the way forward, but... 
I wasn't I wasn't um, surprised that he didn't go back five on Saturday. No, you touched on there, Mark, as well. I mean, like the first half was pretty positive. It's maybe about as well as I've seen us play at Tynecastle in recent seasons. Certainly, probably since that kind of Derek McInnes team uh, where we went down there regularly with you know flying wingers, prime McGinn, prime Hayes, prime Adam Rooney, and just kind of used to tear um, hearts to shreds an awful lot, but. Only one shot on target to show for it in the opening 45, which is not good enough when you've dominated the game as much as you have. The big talking point, obviously, from the first half is VAR. I've seen a lot of people talking about that over the last 24 hours on social media, but, you know, if it's not for VAR, it's a very different conversation about the manager. There's maybe an element of truth to that, but let's just talk about the decision itself. I mean, first of all, it's a wonderful, wonderful finish by Bojan Um but incredibly unfortunate just to be pulled up for that. Little come together between himself and Beningame in the build up. It's it's good positive play uh, from Aberdeen and getting ourselves up the pitch and getting numbers up there, getting Connor Barron to support. Um, it's a good little ball inside rather than just hitting the ball with hope across the face of goal. Um, seeing Mojmiowski there and you know one touch and that curling effort in the top corner. It's uh, it's fantastic goal. Um, as far as VAR goes, I mean, I'm I'm loath to use it as an excuse too much. I mean, we were huge beneficiaries of it on on Wednesday night against St Johnston. Uh, you know, getting their their goal ruled out, getting a penalty off of it. Things happen. Uh, unfortunately, this is what people who advocated for VAR, you know, were, were wanting to see is uh, you know these decisions getting put under the microscope. Um, I think it's very very unfortunate. I think that you know. Benningame, the key thing for me is that Benningame doesn't even complain about it when he when Miofsky sticks it away. It's the boy Kingsley, I think, that runs to the referee, and that's just about it. So I think we're very been dealt a very harsh hand. But we were in the ascendancy at the time, and we should have used that as fuel to stay on top of hearts and get another goal. Um and of course in typical Aberdeen fashion, we don't capitalize on that really good start. Yeah, and then the second half had that creeping sense of inevitability about it, didn't it, Mark? Again, we started relatively well. I thought the first 10 minutes we were all right. Mm-hmm. You could then start to see Hearts just kind of starting to get a little bit of a foothold in the game. And then, you know, again, the penalty kick, for me, it's harsh. But with the current way that the handball rules applied, it was always going to be a penalty kick as soon as it was looked at again. And then after that, we just, and, and Robson, in, in fairness, did pick up on this in his post match interviews the fact that we just looked completely lost after going to go behind it. Never really felt like we were going to get back into it. And then you probably need to start looking at the way that the management team handled the situation as well at that point. Um, our subs after that were confusing and baffling to, to, to be polite about it. The subs were sheer desperation. Um, I mean, we we absolutely did go four two four, which is just. I mean, you do that in a cup game, um, where you you're trailing trailing by a goal and you've got to chuck everything at them. But doing it at Hearts against, uh, sorry, against Hearts at Tynecastle, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that the subs were. They were the the correct subs, but go back to the the uh, disallowed goal. If you watch the replay from behind, Mayovsky's stride isn't broken at any point. So how has he clipped the player and he's not sort of stumbled or fallen forward a little bit? His legs continue to move at the rate they were. So I, I'm not even convinced he he touches him. Um, 
But you're absolutely right, Gary. I I completely agree that whenever we go a goal behind, we just look, it's like panic. We look like we absolutely shit ourselves and then we have a lot of the ball again and we do okay, but we don't threaten. And I feel like we've had this conversation, Aberdeen fans in general, I mean, over the last three managers where we've caught a lot of the ball and we're very passing it side to side, back and forth. We never really do anything with it. The final product's atrocious. And it has been for so many years and it was again on Saturday. Um, I I don't know where we go from here. Um, I, I'm, I really don't. I'm at a complete loss. I mean, it's, it's the natural point now to talk about the manager again, Gav. Um, I don't know how many times. It feels like we've spoken about the manager after every game this season but we've we've sat on here. I mean, looking at it now, Robson's win percentage in all competitions since he became permanent manager is now down to 32%. His win percentage in the same period in just the league is 28%. So he's still now just hovering above, I think, the two lowest uh, percentage numbers of anybody um, in charge of our football club over the years, which was Alex Miller and, and Mark McGee. I mean, that was, again, another massive issue for me yesterday was the complete lack of nous when we went a goal down. It was just panic stations and marks right, Gav. It's just suddenly uh, 4-2-4 and throw people at it. And he even admitted it in the post-match interview that it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, um, there's a reason we continue to talk about Bayer Robson after every game, uh, more critically after every defeat or disappointing result. I mean, the league table doesn't lie. I mean, 23 points from a potential 60. I saw it, um, someone on Twitter pointed out that, you know, in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, our points total at this point of the season is just every season it gets smaller and smaller and just tells you the direction that the club is is going in. Um, I maybe hadn't realized that the changes he made were as early as he made them. You know, um, Morris and Sokler come on at 70 minutes, Duke comes on at 65. So if we are, in fact, going for that 4-2-4, I mean, you do that with maybe five, ten minutes to go when you're absolutely on top of the team and they're just camped out in their own pelly area, can't get out. Uh, to do it that early, yeah, when by all accounts we'd had a foothold in the game with the players we had on the pitch, um, just shows there's a lack of innovation in in his substitutions. And I made the point on Twitter um, yesterday when I looked at the team that given how much money has been spent on that bench and how handsomely remunerated a number of those players will be the lack of strength and depth in our squad is fucking criminal and people who go way beyond Barry Robson both in terms of timeline and you know their status in the club need to answer for that um but this has been the story of last time Gav we're gonna get to that this is this has been the story though of going a goal behind and not having a chance of coming back. That's been a story of the club for the last two and a half, three years. With a handful of occasions, we just don't come back. We always need to run out of energy. Towards the end of games, we run out of ideas. And teams, when it should be you know, so mentally and physically exhausting, are just ready. And they just no one ever seems to be you know, in a state of panic when we're coming forward with, at the, in the last five, six minutes or so. Yeah. Um, so again, and... To repeat myself, and like I say, this episode, the theme is going to be Groundhog Day. I'm not in the least bit surprised. The thing that really baffled me about the decision-making yesterday after we went a goal down was the fact that we completely dominated the central midfield area all game. Like We were getting so much joy through there. We were battering hearts in that area all game. And then the changes he makes just allows 
Hearts just to completely dominate that area for the final 20-25 minutes of the game. And that's where I get to about this idea about tactical now, because it wasn't the area of the pitch that needed to be vacated um, was the centre of the park. We were doing well in there. Which brings me to a different question. I posed it last night on Twitter. We've seen on a number of occasions now already this season uh, Barry Robson making tactical errors, in-game decisions that you would maybe expect a rookie manager to make. You know, that's... He's, he's learning on the trade that we know that learning on the job but that was the entire point of um, Steve Agnew being brought in wasn't it was to avoid these types of errors and avoid our rookie manager making these types of mistakes I mean right now I, I, and I feel that like this whole episode is now going to go down a much wider uh, view than just Barry Robson but what's Steve Agnew bringing to the table at this moment in time to justify his salary I don't uh, I don't really understand Steve Agnew Steve Agnew and I would dare say, you know, Peter Levin has, um, we've not seen much in the way of an improvement in the coaching of our team since he's come in, um, since Liam Fox left. Maybe Liam Fox was the brains behind the operation this whole time. Who knows? Said it before, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, you just got to look back. I mean, Steve Agnew is obviously a very, very experienced coach at a number of clubs in England, but you look he's at his work in general. He's been, what, a number two to Steve Bruce for the bulk of his time being an assistant coach or, you know, been working away at Middlesbrough um, with varying degrees of success. And I'm being generous in the word use of the word varying. Um, I think success is doing a lot of heavy lifting as well there, Gav. It's that thing, though. Like, we were all quite excited. Like In reality, like, going back in time, we were excited when he made the decision to stay because it felt like it was going to be a critical part of robson it was a critical part of the success of last year and going forward it would do well we all called for glass for goodwin to have experienced assistants and they neglected to to have one so for robson to have it, it felt like another piece of the puzzle that was in place for him to go on and be successful but once again when we're in the shit uh it's been commented that it's craig sampson that seems to be more uh influential in terms of what goes on if you look but at the bench, look whenever at we, whenever we bring on a, a sub, it's always Samson who's speaking to the sub about where to go, and I, I use kind of standing behind Robson, usually with a hat on and one of those snood things over his nose, doing absolutely fuck all. So I, I'm with you, Gary. I, I don't understand what he does, and I, from what I understood, he was meant to be the experienced person to help guide Robson. Uh, set up the team in a way that is going to beat the team that we're playing and thus far it seems to be revert to type with every game okay didn't work last game but we'll do it again for the next game and there's never a change and there's never any thought or imagination to any of this so i think he does absolutely fuck all Uh, well the reality is that the steve bruce teams that he would have worked with generally speaking were set up in theory to be difficult to play against difficult to score against and we all know the stats of how bad we've been defensively this season. So, uh, yeah, you have to ask serious questions of his influence and if he's guiding Robson or if he's just, you know, here, you know, recreating the lovely, the role of Lee Sharp. Um, so, again, so, so last night, I mean, social media and Twitter is never necessarily the best barometer of these things. Um, you know, you can use the argument sometimes that it's a vocal minority that are on there that, that they're skewing everything. But, I mean, obviously we saw... You know, um, individuals both at Pataudry last night and then at Cormac Park with the Robson out banners and everything there, just shocking 
there was no Rey Mysterio mask involved on it, which is a, a disgrace uh, from an AFC heritage perspective. But, um, and again, this afternoon, I think Liam McLeod was on BBC Sports and the understanding there is that the board don't feel that they need to do anything with Robson at the moment, at this moment in time, that his position is safe. You know, they look at results like the Frankfurt game and the Hearts game at home. That backs up what we'd heard <laughs> um, cup final weekend, where a senior member at the club was basically saying that there was a lot of bewilderment at the club about why the fans were miffed. Um, so I don't think anything's happening anytime soon, but I mean, I don't know. There are times where, and gents, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's sometimes you end up sitting in an echo chamber with these types of things, but it feels to me like the vast, vast, vast majority of the support, whether on social media or not, are behind the process that the idea that the Robson's time is up and it needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. I think barring a remarkable start and going two, three goals up against Dundee on Tuesday, the a very significant portion of Batodre are going to be letting not so much Robson know their thoughts, but yes, the FMB, Dave Cormack, Alan Burrows, Stephen Gunn, what they think about the situation uh, as it stands right now. I've said it before, when Glass, when we were at Dense Park and the fans turned on Glass that night, when that happens in the modern age, I don't think you come back from it. People hark back to Ferguson at Manchester United having a hard time to begin with and turning it around, but that was, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and football was a much different uh, animal. So for me, he's on borrow time. He's been on borrow time probably ever since the St. Mirren defeat. Uh, that, for me, felt like the time to make the call. We're sitting here uh, recording this on the 28th of January. We've just signed a new player, and Robson's, you know, been extolling the virtues of him. So I don't think anything's going to happen. And that just leaves me wondering... If the board genuinely are looking at home victories over hearts as being a metric for success, then that tells you where we are as a club. Yeah, the um, the atmosphere on Tuesday night is going to be horrendous. It's going to be toxic. It's going to be horrible. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of fans, including the the ultras, who do play a big part in the atmosphere at Petardry, who are going to be taking the line of "fuck this, we need a change." I mean, we saw. Um, social media last night about what their thoughts are, and, and I think they'll provide a big, a big part of this horrendous atmosphere. And but are the board going to do anything? I mean, Alan Burrows when he came to the club did four or five interviews, I think including with you guys, where he kept speaking yeah. about trans- transparency, transparency, transparency. You've got to be upfront with the fans. You've got to be honest with the fans. Where the fuck has he been over the last however many months? Because he was Twitter galore when we were doing all right. And at the end, tail end of last season, he was tweeting every two days about how great Barry's doing and the atmosphere around the city and blah, blah, blah. Not a fucking thing from him in about two months. So where's this trans that he's always on about it's just yeah and I want to come on to talk about uh, I want to come on to talk about everything wider than just the manager a minute or two but I think just as we always do with these types of things I've, I, and I threw open the voice notes for kind of listeners corner again it's been a few I say a few fucking lots have come in over the last couple of days I'm going to be firing through some of them just now which are all really about the manager right now. There are a few which go on to different topics. But I think it just exemplifies just the strength of feeling that's out there now about just the manager's position before we talk about anybody else. So we'll start off, we'll rattle through them all. I think they've all got very similar themes. Clueless, hopeless, 
out of ideas, out of answers, doesn't even know what the question is, but is still so full of ego. The time has come. It's, he's got to go. It's it's beyond it now. All right, guys, hope you're enjoying your Sunday evening as much as can be expected. Right, it's time for change, absolutely. I agree. I think we all agree it's time for change. Um, but the change we need is actually at the top. Um, we need to get serious about the governance of the club. We need to get serious about the directorships. We need to get serious about our footballing department. And having an unqualified director of football does not help to foster that kind of culture. I think, um, yes, Robson obviously has to go. I think his time is up. I think we can all see that. Uh, but the continuing failure of the the football monitoring board to see the obvious and to act accordingly, uh, it's not a good look. And I think it's time for, for change there too. What do you reckon? Dear FMB, please, for the love of fuck, get that mumbling nose-picking, log-hawking, particling up, shady mo loving fucking poppy-gay splurging, once Vancouver white-capping cunt to fuck. Thank you, every single Don's fan. Alright, boys. That was as predictable as anything. And you, as soon as that definitely goal would, that goal that we scored was disallowed. I knew we were going to lose that. There's no doubt that Robson is on his way out. There's, will it happen before Tuesday against Dundee or not? I'm not quite sure. But who the fuck do we go for? Because there's not any names that are uh, shouting out at me that would make me think, oh, oh, wow. We really need to start spending the amount of money that we do on players actually on our manager. Because we can't just keep doing this fucking half-arsed cheap option. Because this is why we are where we are. Like, to know your thoughts and who you would like to actually see. Not specifically somebody, not specifically a name, but the type of manager you would like to see. Cheers, boys. Good evening, gents. Um, love the show. Uh, listen every week. Uh, my question to you guys would be, are you surprised at the lack of communication we've received from Dave Cormack and Alan Burrows and the rest of the FMB after the last few performances? It's been quite surprising not to hear anything from the guys at the top. Your thoughts? All the best. Yeah, hey, guys. Yeah, I still think Robson should go. Um, it's, it's been a, throughout the season. I've, I've become less and less impressed. How he's he stubbornly stuck to his back five plan when it was clear the recruitment board hadn't given him the players that could play this way, but he just stuck to it anyway. And we've become, I think, the least threatening team in the league through it. Today was better, but then I think that just basically, again, sums up why he should go. We're only just now starting to play players in positions that actually suit them and, and getting a bit more structure to the side. Um, his substitutions today were awful. Um, what it did was uh, it gave the midfield to to Hearts, who were having a tricky day in midfield. I thought we were dominating them. Shinny was excellent. And it just took all that away. And how on earth he expected us to get a foothold in the game when he had done that, I think was absolutely crazy. I honestly believe you could take a Sunday league manager who's been doing doing the job for five years 
and they would get more out of this side. Um, it's almost like sabotage at times. Uh, we have excellent players and he just can't get a tune out of them because of his own ideology and he should definitely 100% go. I've always said that Barry, that all he really cares about is transition and high press. I've sat behind him at the Helsinki game. That was all he was interested in. Occasionally turning around to shout at Steve Agnew about it. That That's it. We're set up to counter-attack against good sides. If we're playing against a non-good side, we've got no idea. Anytime there's multiple substitutions, we look totally lost because we lose all shape that we might have had. It's just gone on too far. I always wanted to back Barry, but the football is so bad. It's supposed to be, he promised us exciting football. It's anything but exciting. It's time to go. All right, guys. So, you know, I'm just wondering what will it actually take for him to be sacked? Because I have no idea what it takes for an Aberdeen manager to be sacked these days. Because obviously, it wasn't losing 5 0 to Hearts or losing to Darville or being gubbed 3 0 at home by St. Mirren. So, I'm at a loss there. And, you know, if we beat Dundee on Tuesday, I mean, who cares? You know, it just papers over the cracks yet again. You know, we're no closer to having, you know, a style of play or an identity. And we'll just continue to boot the ball over the heads of guys like Leighton Clarks and Amiowski. You know, guys who technically are too good for this league. And we're just nullifying ourselves and opposition managers must be pissing themselves laughing at that. And I'm just tired of the whole thing. I'm just bored. It's the same thing every year. Uh, if we just spent a fraction of what we've spent on absolute pish like... Jaden Richardson or Morris on a proper manager, we could just stop the cycle of us being a complete and utter banter club. But, yeah, we'll just wait and see. I mean, 19 points behind Hearts. We've picked up 23 points all season. It's uh, it's laughable. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. And, yeah, I won't even mention the FMB because I'm sure that'll be spoken about enough. So, yeah, Robson out. This is now just a. It feels to me this this now with um, Robson's kind of now a symptom of what's going on at the club, rather than it just necessarily being Robson's fault. This is the third manager in quick succession where we're having the same fucking conversation all over again. Um, let's look at the the, the FMB. I mean, the FMB. It's been a, a figure of fun for a while now, um, purely because of how preposterous the whole fucking idea of it was. But let's just go back and look at it again. You've got you know. On the FMB, you've got Milne, Stephen Gunn, Dave Cormack and Willie Garner. Now, of the four of them, Garner's the only one who's any actual footballing experience. And with the best one in the world, hasn't been involved in any sort of top flight, top level football since 1986. Now, I know that it looks like Willie's kind of gone off and blocked some prominent Twitter users over the last week. And this isn't a personal attack, I should point out, it's just laying out the facts. Stuart Milne, a failed managerial appointment after failed managerial appointment in his time as chairman of the club. Most people around the club will talk really highly about Stuart as an individual. You've seen that in a number of the kind of ex-player, ex-staff interviews we've done over the years. Again, no criticism of him, of him on a personal level, but he doesn't have the track record to really sit on a board of people that are monitoring fucking football. And the director of football, he's now been in situ for three seasons. It's three failed managers in that time. Any semblance of our philosophy has been ripped up every time we've recruited a new manager. I mean, any any club that is serious about running this type of structure doesn't rip the philosophy up each time you change manager. And does also doesn't procrastinate over these key decisions because they're meant to have a succession plan in place. 
for when the shit hits the fan. And we clearly don't. I think it's extremely, um, what's the term? Giving a lot of good faith to suggest there is a football monitoring board. There are three faces on this board and there's one person who calls the shots. Let's be honest about that. I'm going to come on to that in a second as well, but carry on. Um, you know what? I mean, you go back to three seasons ago or three years ago when we made the call to get rid of McInnes um, and not let a manager run the entire football club uh, head to toe as McInnes did for so many years go to this continental uh, modern approach of you know director of football head coach head of recruitment etc etc when you look back on it now and i mean i'm maybe just gonna like pull up like the the wrexham documentary as an example of two guys who take over a club and realize they would have absolutely not the first clue of where to start in building a club so they get a consultant in when we decided to go with this approach that's what we should have done or we go straight for a chief executive with a track record of delivering the structure that we want to put in place instead again let's be honest dave cormack is the one chiefly in charge of putting this in place and from the very get-go it was a shit show because we went about it in the reverse of the way you should do it where it was head coach who you know was his next door neighbor Atlanta, so what could possibly go wrong there? Then a director no, no, of football with no track record of being a director of football, and then a head of recruitment who came in after the season had already started. Um, and from there on, you know, glass doesn't work out. We bring Goodwin in, you know, Goodwin changes the way we're going to do things. At that point, Goodwin takes more control of the transfer policy. And then he doesn't work out. Um, we have this huge influx of players who the next coach decides are no longer relevant to his approach to how we're going to play. Um, you know, in this, in this time, we've gone through two head of recruitments um, in such a short space of time. And you can ask serious questions of the quality of work that they've done. It's just been a complete and utter shit show. And we can all sit here and say that Robson should go. And I believe that is entirely the right thing to do but the thing about it is i don't believe for a second that we've got a plan b ready in our minds right this very second where if we sack robson we go straight for this guy and you know we make this as um succinct a turnover as possible no no we didn't have it last year that's why robson ends up with the job and even if we did i've got no reason to trust any of these guys i'll include our honorary football monitoring board member He's maybe like graduated from the NWOB team by this point. Because Alan Burrow's record of tracking of hiring managers at Motherwell was nothing short of horrific. Which is also a fair point. Go back to your point, Gary, about Stuart Milne being um, a horrendous manager after a horrendous manager. I don't think he actually planned on hiring McInnes. I, I actually think he got very lucky. I think he got really lucky. I don't think that I think he was one of the only options available to us at the time. I don't think there was any long term planning for it. I think he got him in the door and thought, "Fuck, this is actually not bad." I, and I, could, I could I could I could imagine Derek doing well in an interview. I reckon he'd sit in front of you and and and, mm. and perform well in an interview. So I can see why he ended up with the job, but I don't think there was any sort of. It's not like they were like McInnes is a guy. We need to get McInnes. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and given that it was between Deke and Derek Adams, I mean, yeah, it's pretty well, easy to see why Deke would have gotten the gig. Absolutely, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. And then the other, the only other managerial appointment that you could look at with Milne that you could deem a success was Jimmy. 
and Jimmy was Willie Miller's choice when yeah. he came back as um, director of football for the second time. So, you know, Stuart's rec- record of appointing managers is not great. Um, and again, I just want to circle back a little bit on Stephen Gunn in particular, because ultimately the performance on the football field rests with him within the kind of structure, technically speaking, that's where that should sit. I mean, and again, nothing personal about Stephen Gunn here, but the continued failure on the pitch and with ripping up the strategy every time that we seem to go through this cycle, that should sit with him. And the very, very fact that we have a football monitoring board at all says everything about Gunn's authority at the club, doesn't it? We shouldn't need an FMB. Footballing operations sit with him. He should have the authority to do what he needs to do, but he clearly doesn't. Gunn has all the authority of the do not tumble dry label on a jumper. He is absolutely no authority at, at this club at all. I I think he is possibly the worst appointment that we have had in 20 years. And I include managerial appointments in that. I I still cannot understand how he possibly gets that job. Um, what qualifies him to get that job? I mean, as far as I'm aware, the manager reports to him. Barry Robson must piss his pants at going into a meeting with his... Uh, superior Stephen Gunn who when he played for the team probably booked the hotels in Glasgow when they played the old firm it's it's the the club is a mess from top top to bottom an absolute mess I I don't think for a second that a a director of football needs to necessarily have you know played the game or whatever but what there is no uh, I think they need to have a level of experience in the game though Carmack's come out and said that Gunn has a lot of responsibility. Now, I take your point, Gav, that you don't have to have played the game to have that responsibility, but you need to have some recognition of what the inner workings of decent-level football, which I don't think he has. Well, this is what we've talked about, where you need to have experience that applies to recruitment, you need to have experience that applies to the youth teams, you need to have some semblance of, I think, you know, possibly even a coaching background in some way. Um, and the simple fact of the matter is that he didn't have that uh, in his job prior to becoming the director of football, which entirely, it's a valid question to ask, what did Dave Cormack see in him to make him the director of football of Aberdeen? Well, when they did the Red TV interview with Gunn, and I think it was Cormack, um, when they unveiled him as the director of football, Cormack kept circling back to the fact that Gunn had been at the club for X amount of years and he was an Aberdeen boy. Well, I've been an Aberdeen fan my entire life, and I'm an Aberdeen boy, but that doesn't qualify me to be the director of football, does it? It's just, well, I'll just come f- on to that as well. It's, it's, it's such a good point, and I'll come on to that in a minute or two as well, Mark. Because, I mean, I, and again, I think I've spoken about this, I don't know how many times in the show, and maybe I'm alone in this. I don't actually think the structure of what we're trying to do is wrong. I think the idea of actually taking day-to-day responsibility and avoiding the McInnes type situation we've got one guy who just rules the roost over the entire football operation I don't think it's a bad thing to take that power away from one individual and I don't think it's a bad thing to have the setup we're looking at because it's what a lot of modern forward looking forward leaning clubs in Europe do it's just that we don't have the right people in the fucking seats that much is clear and we don't we don't allow the people in the seats to have the autonomy to deliver their fucking job properly because we all know what's happening here there's one guy sitting over the whole fucking thing who's calling the shots. Yep. Yeah. No uh, I mean, that's, that, that's exactly exactly what's happening. Um, 
Stephen Gunn was an easy appointment for Dave Cormack because he will do exactly as Dave Cormack tells him to do without any pushback, um, which is exactly what Cormack wants, let's be honest. I don't fault the guy for the investment he's made in the club, but I think I fault him on pretty much everything else. Um, hirings. Um, yeah, I, I, Gunn was put in that job because Cormack would ask him to do something and he wouldn't hesitate in saying yes. Because it goes back again to this this bit from me around, you know, how many people at our club, especially in really senior positions, have actual aspirations to be at the top level of the game in their roles? Or is all of this just a little bit cushy to be at Aberdeen? You know, they get their director's box seats every week. They get a jaunt to wherever they go every now and again. Is the heads of recruitment seem to be doing all right. Because they all fuck off. <laughs> is it just... Yeah, is it all just a bit too... It's all just a bit too cushy, a wee bit too cosy for everybody. Like I, I remember talking to somebody before about how, yes, we all like the idea about having like local Aberdeen loons and Aberdeen fans and the roles and stuff, and we like that. But at the same time, there are times where I, I would rather have complete fucking outsiders come into the club, who've got no ties to the club, who've got no, you know, emotional bonds to the club from that perspective, and they just want to get a fucking job done and get it done well. We're a painfully nice club. We really are. We're a painfully nice. I always think this is just like a little like tip of the iceberg, but I just always think that we how long was Michael Devlin at Aberdeen for? Four and a half years, I think, Owen. Something like that. Yeah. He was probably fit to play for roughly about a year's worth of that time. And we just kept giving him extensions and kept giving him extensions and kept looking after him. And that's that's all well and good, but there's times when you just want your club to be a little bit ruthless and if you're not delivering in your role, then you're out and the next person comes in. Um, in any other club, I think that would go about approaching football the way we have, unless it's a hib situation where it's the owner's son that gets put into, you know, a director of football or chief exec role, they'd be emptied and you'd go on to the next person. Um, Stephen Gunn, the, you have to take the structure as the way it was implemented, the way it was described to us. He's responsible for the entire football operation and it's been a catastrophic failure, no matter how much they want to hide behind beating Hearts at home. And yeah. they'll hide behind they'll hide behind a couple of successes in the transfer market. You know, a couple? Not I, many. I, I like the new model. I like the model of what we're trying to do in terms of trying to find young players in markets we don't operate in normally or other clubs aren't operating in properly who've got the resale value and we work with it. And if we end up having them for a couple of years and then we have to spin them, okay, fine. That's the way we do it. I'd rather do that than be signing fucking League Two journeymen every week who then leave two years later after seeing their contract out having played six games for us in the entire time they've been here. And it's just been a complete waste of fucking time for everybody concerned. I don't mind the idea of this. And you're going to get some misses and you're probably going to get more misses than you get hits as well, more than likely. But at the moment, I'm now looking at the kind of recruitment that's gone on in the last year now, or the last six, seven months. And I'm like, I'm not seeing this even just the one or two gems that we saw at least last season. So it's like, how do we repeat this? How have we just have we got really lucky the first year we tried to implement it, and then we're really fucking struggling? I don't know. Um, I mean, as a, as a fan, it was quite exciting when we were signing all these unknown players from all these far-flung places. I mean, I, th- I think there was a point at the beginning of the season where we were all saying Barry Robson's Balkan Reds when we signed Salkler and uh, Rubicic, and that's very exciting. Um, 
however, you, Gary, you're right. You, you're going to get more misses than you do hits. We've had quite a few misses of late, especially uh, this season. Um, and was that the successes of last season's uh, signings? Was that due to the head of recruitment who then fucked off? Um, and who'd identified them. I mean, identified Mayowski, identified Duke, Ramadani, these guys who actually came in and made a difference to the team. And then the head of recruitment left. And then we were kind of in that limbo period again where we didn't have one. Yeah. And then we've got th- this new guy who, would he have been responsible for the, the summer window? This, is, the, this is an issue that I have. have done the summer window. I think I think the summer window was already even played. But Gavin, right, this okay. A, this is an issue that I have with the club as well. That again, Mark's it's the word that Mark brought up earlier is transparency. Is that you don't know who is responsible for what as the way things stand with our football club. I mean, we talk about you know the new recruitment process being all sophisticated. Duke was an agent tip off, so there's nothing new about that. We were tracking Mayovsky absolutely uh lee scott was then tasked with just we're going to go watch this guy just pour through the data is there anyone else worth looking at and he found ramadani very that's good, right very yeah. good. Late, that's right but leighton leighton clarkson yeah ramadani know, was an accidental signing in a way yeah uh a, a coincidence let's call it that if you that's not unfair to call it that um leighton yeah. clarkson a young player from an english premier league team not exactly a new thing that we would do but could go and one then, of two ways as well like we've how oh, many yeah, but, dog shit young players that we think but we, but we can talk about they can talk about last season being a success in terms of recruitment of those you know three four guys in particular but then for every Leighton Clarkson there's a Jaden Richardson there's a Cal Roberts an yeah. Anthony Stewart a Hayden Colson a Matty Longstaff etc etc so it's uh, recruitment has it's not been for me there needs to be a far more balance in terms of success versus failures and this yeah, season like, topping the, off what we had last year, it's been a shambles. And there's one success well. for every five misses. Yeah. And and I think that's, you're probably likely to end up with some percentage, which is like 30, 70 or something in terms of success. And you bank on the fact that your success is a big success and you generate the sort of level of income we, we will generate from Yofsky. Obviously a lot of hope about Duke, but as Regano, presumably his first name is O, um, in the chat has just pointed out that you know a big example of the pitfall of the strategy is someone like Duke because we had an amazing season off of him last year but the way he's being utilised at this moment in time we're going to struggle to sell him for anywhere near the cash we probably thought we were going to and on top of that there's still a huge huge level of dubiety around what were due Benfica back in exchange um, off of any Duke sale as well potentially going forward well, if if the rumor innuendo is correct and it is in fact fifty percent that Benfica are entitled to, then yeah, I mean his resale value is just going to decline and decline uh, the longer his contract goes on for. Um, I think he's going to stay for January. I can't see him leaving now. So then we're talking the summer, a year left on his contract. Not had the greatest of seasons by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, um, it's one of those ones where it's just like. This happens with Aberdeen quite a lot, where we just don't strike when the iron's hot when it comes to selling players. Uh, it's a historic thing. There you go. Out, out of the players that the you would assume they've brought in to try and sell on, and I understand that business model, and I think it, although it pains the fans, I guess, it probably does work from a business point of view, and it continues to keep the club in profit. Um, Majowski's been unbelievable, obviously. I mean, we'll, we'll sell him for 
for decent uh, money in the summer, I would imagine. But then is from a business point of view, are you not supposed to put your best assets out there to attract the interest, play them in a system that works? I mean, Duke's been played so out of position and just in a, a, a setup that isn't his game. And that's, I know it's uh, CMC said that he's chucked his toys. I don't think he has chucked his toys. I think he's just fed up with playing this this role that he, he's been asked uh, to play. And then Rubicic would have been another one I would have assumed that we would have tried to have sold on. And uh, he's not he's not hitting the mark at all. Uh, but so, it's such a good point because that's what I always wonder as well about where, you know, when is someone pulling Robson into the, in, in for a chat about, you know, like, okay, number one is getting results, of course. Number one is getting results on the pitch. Number two, though, is probably making sure that the key sellable assets you have within your team are being showcased in the best possible way that they can be to mean that we can flog them for cash and then reinvest and hopefully the idea is you make enough money that the next time you buy a a Boya Miofsky you're not scrambling around in the 100 grand 150 grand market for a player you're now maybe in the 500,000 pound market for a player and so you've got a better chance of success I say that I mean I know we've, we've paid nearly half a million for Papi Javi Gay but um the point still stands. Although Mixu makes a good point in the chat as well, that ironically, despite us being excited and preferring all the foreign signings, most of our best signings of the last 10 years, potentially like Rooney, McGinn, Hayes, Devlin, etc., have all come actually from within Scotland, which is also a good point in the sense that any recruitment philosophy this has to be balanced because there's always a benefit to looking in your league domestically, who's actually performing well and who can you pick up from the, in inverted commas, lesser teams. It's all, there's always going to be a balancing act with that, absolutely. Um, but, you know, we haven't signed anyone from within this league. Uh, there is no one within this league of the calibre of a boy Amiofsky, so you have to go out and find that in, in a different market. Or a player like Duke, or a player like Leighton Clarkson. Um, the, the thing about this all for me is that the business model is all well and good. And you know what? I mean, we can talk about whether we got a good fee for Ramadani or not. We flipped him for 10 times the value. Um, if we deal with Miofsky, then again, you have to call it a success. But then it's the succession planning. And this season, I look at it and think we did so well with a back three of Matty Pollock, Angus McDonald, and Liam Scales. And then we've gone about replacing them. And I don't think anyone can argue that player for player or as a collective, the defenders we brought in are anywhere near the level of those three individuals. So it's just so deeply concerning. And if Esther Sokla, I, I like Esther. I think um, I'd like to see maybe more of him uh, getting more time on the pitch. But he's not a Miofsky. He's not a Duke as of now. He's not ready to step into their shoes. And we've got a manager coming out and saying that Habib Gay is here to stay. He's going to get his chance when the time comes. So, so when that time is going to be, though, it's that thing, yeah, though, of like the recruitment is just so worrying. And you talk about when is a someone pulling Robson in to have that conversation about results and showcasing our best assets. Evidently, that conversation doesn't happen because we've watched Leighton Clarkson watch the ball sail over his head for half a season. We've watched Connor Bannon get limited game time. Um, you know, Dante Bolvara again, not as much as we like to see, and. I agree with Mark. I don't think Duke has, you know, thrown the toys out of the pram. I think he's just as fed up as any of us would be when you have to deal with the service that he's getting and the job that he's being asked to do when we know how good he can be when we give him the supply like we did last season. 
the other thing with Duke is, we, I, I've got. I mean, he must hold Robson and the, the the club responsible for him not playing in Afcon because he he hasn't he hasn't played enough, and when he has played, he hasn't been good enough because he's played in this ridiculous position. So that's got to piss you off, right? Possibly. A Duke Duke's record with. Um, Okay, very okay, interesting me. because he doesn't actually play that much for them. Um, but yeah, I think it's if 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 the guy is playing week in week out and he's playing in a position that he's going to excel in, um, and he's scoring the same level of goals he scored last season, I think he'd probably be on the in, in that yeah. squad absolutely. Um, Jamie's made a very good point though that we are talking in a derisory manner about Big Papi, but he did score more goals in Belgium than Shankland. Well, that's true. So maybe it's all going to work out. Maybe it's all going to turn up. Big Pappy Happy Gate at some point. If he can just pull himself out of the casino for long enough to make that happen, that would be a f- fucking good. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna throw out there, just a suggestion. Um, but it does get me back to again, it's it's the wider discussion of what I have tonight about the football club as a whole. Because there are times when I look at the club as a whole and I go, are they actually trying to run a football club in a professional manner, or are we just kind of pretending to try and do it? We are doing and saying. Well, we were up to a point doing and saying all the right things and make ourselves sound more sophisticated and professional than we actually are. Um, Tom Watt commented on this from the first time we talked to him about how we set out all these goals to be a team that brings through our youth players and wants to be a top UEFA 100 club and all that kind of good stuff and have a philosophy that you know runs through the every age group in the club and it's things that every aspiring people club wants to be and very very few are and the reality of the fact is that we had that for what nine months and then we hired the next manager and we just ripped it all up without ever commenting on it again yeah all all um all talk no show it's one of the poorest things they've done is bring out that fucking philosophy um because when you read it it, it it doesn't read like it's particularly achievable for a club like Aberdeen. I mean, someone in the comments has just said football mastery football is mastery. on there. And you're like, oh God, it's so um, corporate American. I mean, it, it smacks of Cormac, obviously. Um, but like you say, Gav, to then tear it up, not once, but it twice. St- it was Stephen Gunn's document, apparently. Uh, well, t- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Stephen, I think Gunn, right Stephen Gunn got Stephen to sign Gunn. his name at the end of it. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. Um, it's but but in a way, it's it's also that kind of like classic, you know, you give somebody enough rope to hang themselves type thing with. Because as supporters now, like we can look at that document and we can laugh our arses off as much as we want at, but we can also sit and say, "That's what you fucking told us we were getting." Yeah, well, and it's black and white. Yeah. If know? we have abandoned it, which I think we largely have. We've definitely then the come out and say that yeah that was uh we've had to revise the model or use some kind of more corporate lingo to get your way out of it and meanwhile you know here's here's shady mobo uh never to be defeated we, i was gonna say we've also abandoned the never defeated part i think pretty uh, successfully so far this season and this is the thing I, and i feel like i'm and i feel like i need to just like couch what i was about to say there about the club as a whole because actually you know, you could tell you for nothing, there are parts of the club that are great, like really fucking good. And there's really good people doing good work. You know, the, the likes of Jamie Howell in the ticket office, uh, Jason Hill, the club shop staff, 
Robbie Hedman, um, obviously just recently put into the commercial team. The commercial team at the club are, are fucking good people and they're on it. Gary wants a um, Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> but here's where I'm about to not get my freebie. But there are other parts of the club that are like dealing with amateurs. Like it's all about dealing with like they've got their little fiefdoms and if you dare wander away from what they want you to do, then you're going to be fucking blackballed. Despite the fact that it's talked about in many a circle about just how fucking poor it is. The, I've said before, I think, um, sorry, I, I think I said it on here, the clubs, uh, and only in the last four or five years, their interaction with the younger fans is absolutely phenomenal. And they are brilliant at it. My, my little boy is uh, six, season ticket holder now for the first season, and he loves Pataudry because of everything that is involved with it, with... And it's basic stuff like face painting and being invited to DNA events. All that is absolutely brilliant, and they've improved that absolutely massively over the, over the last few years. So you have to give them credit for that. But Gary, it's like you say, it's the 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 rest of it. And the, to be quite honest, I'm not saying that that's not important, but from a football operation point of view, it's the stuff that we should be excelling at that we're failing in every department everywhere. Well, the problem think, as well, though, and we've talked about this before, it's 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 easy to do the things you're talking about there well, right? It's easy to do that, like, young yeah. support and engagement stuff well. The problem then becomes, though, if the team on the fucking pitch are shite or the football, the product on the pitch is shite, you can paint a kid's face as much as you want. But if he's then being sit, forced to sit and watch fucking Richard Jensen hoof the ball over Leighton Clarkson's head, for the upteenth time in a game, he's going to get very bored very quickly. Or alternatively, yeah, my... if it's like my son, he ends up in fucking tears a lot watching Aberdeen Football Club, and it's kind of hard to try and say to him, come back again with you, man. I was about to say, my son's sat watching the game with his face painted and his hot dog quite happy while his dad stands up and rants at fucking Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one of the things that's the most frustrating about this season, um, is the simple point that, you know what, the fans did their bit in the summer, turned out in record season ticket sales, bought those fucking horrible shirts and record numbers. It was all there. It was all there to be done to take advantage. Um, and the reality is like, you know, we've squandered it. I think third places, despite what Barry might like to say, or the board might like to say, or Kel. is Kel was gone. in the said it's definitely on. It's like... <sighs> that guy can go fuck himself. Um... <laughs> so hearts are probably going to finish hearts are probably going to finish third place Hibs are talking about you know new investment in their squad and we're going to be left with a bunch of fucking shysters uh, who are on long term contracts and I think the reality situation is eventually a new manager will come in I'm sure he'll have his own approach I'm sure there'll be no DOF or CEO telling him that he needs to do things this way with this group of players we'll repeat the cycle and chances are we'll be having the same conversation in roughly 11 months' time. But it goes back to what we spoke about after the um, submitting game when we're all absolutely bleezing, that the reason that we didn't, or we don't have to sell Mayowski in this window is because of the money we made from being in Europe this season. What did it, what did it end up being, $9 million or something? Something like that? All in? Anyway. Uh, we, yeah. So that, that plugs the gap of having to sell Mayofsky. Now, if we come to next season and we're not in Europe, we've had no European uh, football, so there's none of that money. Okay, I would imagine Mayofsky will, will probably go in the summer, but we're going to have to sell an asset, like a big asset. We're going to be under more pressure to do so. 
So this is the other thing as well with the manager. Why are the board not that far ahead thinking? That guys, if we if if we don't finish third, or I think it's third or one of the top three would win the Scottish Cup. Is that right? I think for the European group stages, if you if I think fifth would get you into Europe if you for a playoff. If if the win, I don't know. They're probably into where Hibs were, but if you don't win the Scottish Cup, if you win the Scottish Cup, you'd be in the group in a playoff. No, I think it's it's one it's it's if, if yeah yeah, but in order to get back to the groups, which is obviously where the money's been made. We need to finish. We need to finish third, um, and I, I cannot see the the board not viewing that. It's just it just depresses me and it makes me so upset that there's there's fan genuine run of the mill fans like us who can see all of this. And I and I I don't believe for a second that the board do not see this. It's just they do absolutely nothing about it. I mean, you talk about looking forward you know to the future i just think to again that sitting game at home when we got beat 3-0 and i don't think any of us are being unfair in saying that there are deficiencies within the squad that needed to be addressed we needed more quality in you know the wide areas again this is maybe we come back to a a dof or a ceo taking the manager aside and insisting that we need to play this way because that's what we said we were going to do or you go about getting a ramadani type and saying this worked last season so if we get one of a player like this and we partner with Shinny and we get Clarkson playing again, maybe we can turn it around. And here we are on the 20th, and we've signed a, what, an attacking midfielder, I think, in Killian Phillips. Yeah, and we'll come to talk about A type of player, let's be honest, we've got a few of. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's necessarily addressing any uh, any key points within the squad. So uh, I, I take issue with what Mark just said there. I don't think they do see it. I'm not sure they see it, or I think what's happening is that they're burying their heads in the sand enough too much about it, in the sense that they're probably looking at it and going, well, we did all right in Europe, and which I would take issue with. Like, Yeah, I, I, I don't think we did. In, I think we underperformed in Europe, personally. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, I think um, so too. I think if you if you don't, if Robson, I mean, fucking hell, again, if Robson doesn't make those changes at home against Pauk, you, you win that game a little bit more savvy and you beat Helsinki at, at least once and then you're there you you've you're through so I, yeah. I I agree with you I, I don't think we did I think we, we played okay in most of the games but we could have done better I think they'll look at oh you got to a league cup final and say that's a tick in the box despite the fact we then turned up to said final and just did fucking nothing I'm noting it and they'll say well if he goes on a run you can still finish fourth because third third's gone. Like we'll 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 when our third's gone, um, you can still finish fourth, and we're still in the Scottish Cup. So what's the problem? But that it just doesn't. It's just not looking really what's happening at all. I mean the the the, the standard of football on the pitch is fucking terrible. We won't finish fourth at this nope. moment in time. There's nothing that convinces me we'll finish fourth in the league at this moment in time. There's nothing that convinces me we can go on a a streak like Hearts have just gone on, which is, I think, what are they unbeaten in seven, I think, since we beat them, I think is where they're at just now. Nin- and we know nin- in this league, if you... 1991? Uh, nin- yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, unbeaten in seven. We know in this league, if you put a string of results together, we saw it ourselves last season, for fuck's sake, if you string a set of results around, you can you can shoot up the table. We've not looked like doing that once this season, going on a run. Uh, no, I mean, there's, there's way too much ground to make up on Hearts. Um, Kilbarnock, you know, uh, McInnes is doing what he's doing when he 
when he can do, when he doesn't, he's not under any pressure to sell players, um, and he'll just continue to improve Kilmarnock. Um, I can't see us getting above them again. Um, and the thing about it is, we need to win the Scottish Cup then. And the most likely scenario to do that is we have to beat one of the old firm at Hamden. And we saw what happened in November when we came up against a you know a less than brilliant Rangers team. So there's little to to take any faith in that that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you say so, you, you you said earlier that the we did it ourselves last season. We put a, a run of uh, results together. If you think back, none of the football we played was particularly pretty. It was gritty and it was aggressive and uh, functional. I think would probably be the word for it. None of it was particularly yeah. pretty, and but we don't have that this season. We don't have that no. grit or that determination across in any of the positions I mean obviously we've lost Pollock and Scales um, McDonald's obviously not in favour for whatever reason Graham Shinney isn't the player he was the tail end of last season um, Ramadani's obviously uh, away as well so it's just it's just a mess an absolute mess I mean we These... spoke about it during the, the, the window last season about the fact that I, I remember. I remember. I, I said it anyway that I was interested to see what Robson would do this season because I felt that we'd got ourselves into third, and it became difficult for the board not to give him the job at that point. Although I think that's down to the fact that they weren't prepared properly. But I remember saying that I was interested to see what would happen this year because I didn't think that Robson could continue to try and play that style of football this season because it didn't gel with what we've been told we're going to get. And sure enough, we've lost the grit and the determination is grinding results out. And there's none of the fucking good football to go to boot either. So it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Uh, these are all things like McCrory and Ramadani leaving, I feel we must have known well in advance of the summer. I mean, McCrory happened pretty much as soon as the season ended. And yeah. the rumour in the end about Ramadani was there for most of the summer. Um, and I feel that we gambled. We made a decision to make a play on getting Scales and Pollock back to the club. And it wasn't until the season had started that we realized that wasn't going to happen. And then we go to to plans B and C. And the reality there is they've not been up to the scratch, in my view. Um, people have their view about Rubicic. I stand by my view that he's nowhere near as good as Ias McDonald is. So I can't understand that decision. It's Again, this is we're talking about succession planning. And it's just not a part of this football club. Let's be honest, it rolls on another week. It rolls on for at least one more game, at least Tuesday night against Dundee. We'll talk about it in a minute or two. Um, we all know, though, this is inevitable where this is going to end up. It is, but I don't feel at any point this season that he's going to lose his job unless it gets to the point where we're, you know, we're in the, the playoff. Yeah, yeah. If it, if it reaches that point with a couple of heavy defeats, a la uh, Goodwin, it, it it may go that way. But I, I do not see this board sacking him because, Gary, as you said earlier on, they've probably had benchmarks of um, targets that they wanted Robson to meet. Be decent in Europe, a, a good run in the, the League Cup, and apparently beat Hearts at home. Um, we've done all those things. So from the board's point of view, he's probably meeting his targets, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. But they're not going to sack him. I, I just do not see it happening, unless, as I say, we're we're flirting with the, the playoffs. And the atmosphere at Pataudry, and probably 
more so on on the road because of the numbers that the Aberdeen fans uh, traveling. This is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to be horrendous. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. Is it? We'll, you can see already what's going to happen. We'll win on Tuesday night. That'll allow us to stumble forward for another week or two. Then we play the the, the two Glasgow teams. We're probably not expected to take anything from those, so nothing will happen off those two. And then I don't know who we play after that. I can't remember. Motherwell, maybe? Motherwell on we'll the way. Motherwell yeah. at home. We'll stumble again for another couple of weeks. And this is how we'll probably progress till the end of the season. And then fuck knows what happens at that point. Um, Gab, I don't know if you were ready to say something there, and then, then we'll move on a wee bit. I was just going to comment that we do have two uh, you know, extremely difficult games following Dundee, where you know if we take... Let's not forget we got pumped for six at Celtic Park early in the season. Um, so there's nothing to say that couldn't happen again, even at Pataudry, even at Ibrox. Um, we've probably been spared at this point by the fact that the league is still pretty fucking rubbish. Uh, Hibs are sixth with 26 points. So they're somehow, the top six is still somehow within uh, within reach. And, you know, I think Libby, it's safe to say, are gone. Uh, I don't see Ross County improving massively under Derek Adams as long as he's there. So I can't see us, I think Graham said it before, that like we've got good enough players that regardless of the management, we'll just pick up results here and there. Miofsky will save us, Clayton Clarkson, Connor Barron, et cetera, et cetera, will win us points on their own. So I think he'll be here till summer and even if if he lasts that long i think they'll give him another summer to rebuild okay let's move on um we made a signing finally today um the 28th of january irish midfielder killian phillips coming in on loan until the end of the season no obligation or option to buy as had been rumored earlier in the week he's been on loan at wickham wanderers in league one so far this season and we all know how it worked out for us last time we took a player from wickham wanderers 30 games two goals in all competitions he's got three caps under 21 level for ireland Appears to be more of an attacking midfielder. He's been deployed off the flanks as well as up front, six foot two. Decent size, good engine on him, able to get up and down the park well. Good dribbling ability. If you can, go and check out Vit T's Twitter analysis of him. I tend to agree with his analysis as well. I can see him being deployed in the area that Povara is going to, or has been taking up. So on the right-hand side of that kind of midfield five, and that will obviously lead to the question as to where Povara goes. Now, this is the weird thing, boys. I mean, on paper... He looks like a decent acquisition, but it doesn't really feel like it's the area of the park that needs any sort of urgent addressing. It's the least. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 the area of the park that we least need to recruit anybody in, especially a central position. I I'd, I would love to be excited by this, um, but I'm not because it's the wrong position to go and recruit a player in. Uh, a young. Um, Premiership player, is that what we need right now when we've got an abundance of young midfielders who are contracted to the club? Um, everything about it feels like this is trying to appease the fans after Saturday. Oh, look, we've done something. And then you you add in the fact as well that every other signing we've done in the last few years, there's been a big red TV fanfare, there's been photos, uh, there wasn't any of that. This was just, oh, look, we've signed them. Shut the fuck up for half an hour. Do you know what I mean? The signing, given his position, uh, given the abundance of options we already have, it makes me wonder if something's going to happen with someone going out the door. Like a corner baron? Possibly. Uh, it makes me wonder what the future is for someone like Dante Bulbara, who's, for me, stepped up, become the most improved player within the team. I think this could potentially lead to him... Uh, 
being back on the fringes, which will be disappointing given that he's our asset, not um, Crystal Palace's. So um, we're back to that point of Stephen Gunn, Stephen Glass talking about recruitment, talking about signing loan players for the sake of it, who will block the pathway of our of our own players. Um, I think I agree with what you just said there. Like I feel a little bit sorry for Phillips because it's not. I, I feel really It's sorry not for a great him. time yeah, to be coming agreed. into a new club um, when chances are if we feel this way probably more people are thinking the exact same thing of like this is not the guy that we need um and people might be out to judge him harshly from the very get-go um hopefully i mean i, I hope he's good hope he's very good for that matter uh, of course, but we all do but we need we need another option for you know the graham shinney role or someone to go in and play in with graham shinney in the way Ramadani did. And if that was, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the lad Bacchus from St. Mirren, I'm thinking, okay, that's a step in the right direction. But now it's just, it's another, you know, it's just another option to have in a situation where we have many, many options. If he's, a, if he's also a wrong type of midfielder, you know, that's the yeah. thing. Yeah. Because if he's, if, if he's an attack, and, and sorry, if he's an attacking midfielder, does that put him in competition for McGrath's role? Well, the kind of higher it's, it's McGrath it's Clarkson or it's uh, Dati Polvara yeah yeah. so that so if that's the role that he's going to play that's going to drop Duke further down potentially down the pecking order as well because he sometimes plays in that kind of just, just off my off-ski role as well fucking hell yeah. why have we done this Jamie on the chat uh, reporting that Baron is apparently in talks with Huddersfield Town uh, I so my gut feel with Baron um, is that he'll be here till the summer. He might sign a pre-contract at some point with somebody between now and the summer, but I think he will be here until the summer. I don't think he goes in this window. Um, but I think he is possibly waiting until the summer to see what options he has on the table in the summer rather than um, doing anything right now would be my gut feel. I'd be very interested to hear an interview with him after he goes to see where it all went wrong. Indeed, with, the, indeed. with the offer, I mean. Um, so that's killing Phillips. I feel fucking sorry for the guy. I mean, talk about... You know, when you sign for a new club, I presume you go onto the, the, the new club's Twitter page to see what the reaction is to the fans of you signing there. And he's just had, like, fucking hundreds and hundreds of fucking tweets there, which are basically, why have we signed him? Sack Robson. <laughs> Robson get to fuck hope you enjoy the ball flying over your head you must be like fucking hell what am I, what am I doing um, the good thing is he does appear as though he's going to get it right up a certain section of the Scottish footballing uh, <laughs> institutions as well based on his um, track record at Wickham Wanderers on Remembrance Sunday if you want to go to check that out so you know who knows maybe a maybe a benefit in there anyway if nothing else um, we also saw this week Vicente Bajowin departing on loan to Ersta Divisa outfit Emin until the end of the season. Presumably, we've been hawking the fuck out of this around every club in Holland. Somebody's finally bitten. Um, surprising a little bit that it's just a, a straightforward loan until the end of the season. No obligation or option to buy as happened last season at this time when Excelsior took him. Um, I don't want to talk about Bajowin too much because... Uh, I, I think we spoke about it last week with Graham. Bajowin is the kind of player at this moment in time who feels like he gets better every time he doesn't play. But for a team who's been screaming out for just something a little bit different, a little bit with whatever this season, it probably says a lot that he's just not been given that opportunity at all. He's not had, I, a, had a look in, has he? 
I'm 100% nowhere near the level that Graham is as far as the Fushetti Brazilian fan club. But for every time that that Shaden Morris plays from my football team, I'll feel sorry for anyone within our squad who doesn't get a chance. And that's all I'll say about that. When's when's his contract up? I think, Vichet, I think I think Vichet has got two more years. He's got two more years. God, he's here the summer two years for him. We signed him on a four and a half year deal. Fucking no one's going to buy him. No one's going to buy him. I'm not surprised it's just a loan because any team looking at him will have zero track record over the last, what, year, 18 months to go off of. So they'll need to know what he's up to, uh, what his fitness is like, what he's, what he's got in his tank, because there's no, there's little in the way of video footage to well, to say anything beyond some Aberdeen social media from last preseason. Naturally as well, clubs will ask the question about why he's not playing. Yeah, Absolutely. I do enjoy the fact that the, uh, the, the club photographer seems to be trolling um, the, either the board or Barry Robson himself by when there's photos of the Dons training Bajawin's usually in the photos it's like oh yeah, yeah he's still here fucking hell I mean we've heard anecdotally from enough people about it that Vinny's problem is his willingness to knuckle down and take things seriously um, but fucking hell I don't know it's just like it's that, with the Bajawin thing now it's at a point where you're just like just, just release him yeah, just just let yeah. him go. Yep, this is wasting our time. It's wasting his time. It's a fucking mess. Just let it go. Um, yeah, um, to an extent, I feel that way about one or two more people within our squad. Um, you know, I, Angus McDonald, man, that guy, what he's got to do, what he's done, and what he's got to do to get a game. I have no idea. I said this before: if a low tolerance for nonsense was a thing at our club, I'd accept that. <laughs> but for every time, but. Kel fucking Roos, man. Yeah, we don't have, I mean, we don't, we don't have a, we don't have backup for Roos. And again, that's uh, an act of negligence on the part of the manager and the recruitment team. Yeah, agreed. Um, anyway, we're we're sidetracking now. I'm very aware of the fact that we're an hour and thirteen minutes in, so I'm going to park Lone Watch for just now because that's a fucking segment we don't need to do. We'll quickly talk about the Quines. <laughs> Obviously, they were, um, they they signed a winger this week. The Quines, a winger in Aberdeen, it's never going to fucking catch on, is it? Go quell or will come until Aberdeen. Adele Ladback. Very good, Gavin. Excellent. Lovely yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Adele Lindback on a deal until the end of the season. 21 year old, having played previously for Charlton in the FA Women's Championship. Lindback straight into the squad for this afternoon's game at the Balmoral. A double from Rachel Rowe in the first half. Had the league leaders 2 0 up at the break in blustery conditions in Cove. Who'd you think it? Blustery conditions in Cove. Just amazed it wasn't foggy. Um, the Dons, with a bright start to the second half, Bailey Hutchison having the deficit within moments of the, of the restart, she latched onto an error by Sevco goalkeeper Fife before sliding home her 15th goal of the season. A combative second half, chances at both ends, Curry with a couple of big saves for Aberdeen. Dons couldn't quite manage to find the equaliser, though it did finish. 2-1, which still, Gav, you know, we've talked about a lot with the, with the women's team, you know, Rangers are probably going to win the league. I think this season they're far away at the moment, uh, clear at the top of SWPL one full team, full time outfit. Obviously, um, Clint Lancaster after the game as well was talking about the fact that the girls hadn't really had an awful lot of time to be able to the training pitch. Maybe he got his um, <laughs> post match interview notes from Barry Robson possibly <laughs> um, because of the weather in the last few weeks. Um, it's a tough ask for the Queens today, but a, a two one result was actually a, a fairly respectable outcome in the end. 
yeah, I mean, it's common knowledge within SWPL1 that the three big Glasgow teams are just, you know, not even a level. They're multiple levels ahead of anyone else in the in the division. And we've been to Glasgow and taken some some real hidings off the back of those of those games. So uh, to be that competitive, you're obviously disappointed to not get the draw or get the victory. But the women's team is. Uh, a continuous work in progress and they should take a lot of heart from pushing Rangers the way they did. Right, let's quickly move on to talk about the Dundee game on Tuesday night, boys. Before we do that, quick plug, just obviously if um, you want to donate to the Beer and Coffee Fund. Mark, you might have to, you might need to have to get into this now. Um, I know, maybe I do, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Join us, ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. Shout out to beer or a coffee. It's much appreciated. Uh, and then on the raffle front, we're going to let this run for another week. So we have two individual spaces remaining up for grabs for a private training session at Cormac Park, led by fucking Neil Simpson, for fuck's sake. Of all people, Simi can put you through your paces at Cormac Park. Simi can watch you spewing on the side of Cormac Park when it's all a bit too much for you. What more do you want? Proceeds from this raffle, 50-50, are going to go to the Aberdeen FC Community Trust because they do a fucking mountain of great work in the city. Uh, talking earlier on about people who do their jobs properly, they absolutely fucking do. It's part of the club. 50% to them, 50% to the Gothenburg Greats Legacy Fund. If you want to enter, and even if you're a bit shit scared about semi putting you through paces, just maybe put in the donation anyway. All the money's going to go to good causes. Hit us up, abcfootballpodcast at gmail.com with your entries for that one. It's going to be fucking great. And the best thing is, Gavin and Graham and I are going to be there as well. So you get to, not only do you get to be put through your paces by Simi, you get to laugh at the fucking three of us playing football. So what more do you want to do? And if you don't want to take the place yourself, you can obviously put in the donation. I assume you can just, you know, nominate a friend or even maybe give some happy happy gifts from training time. Maybe, if you want. Who knows? <laughs> um... If you do, abzfootballpodcast.gmail.com, £10 an entry, proceeds 50-50 to AFC Community Trust, and then obviously to the Gothenburg Greats Legacy Fund. Let's move on quickly now. Sorry, that that could actually be a training session with uh, the current caretaker manager of our team once Barry Robson gets sacked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the prize is something worth like way more off the bat. Um, CMC, sidetrack, but do you guys want that filmed? Uh, yes, please. Yes, if we could do that, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Hit us up on the email address, CMC. That would be fucking great stuff if we could do that. Um, Player cam on, on the go. Player cam on the go for you three. <laughs> spew, spew cam. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, let's talk about Tuesday night quickly then. So, Tony Doherty's Dundee visit Patodre on Tuesday evening for the first meeting between the sides this season at the third time of asking. This one is the rearranged game from October, which I think fell foul of Storm Babbitt, if I remember correctly. Um, Dundee commit this one fresh off their 4-1 hammering of Livingston on Saturday afternoon. That's right, Gav, for life. Uh, the Dark Blues are sitting 7th in the table, two points ahead of ourselves. They've had an impressive return back to the top flight after being what you can only describe as being well, they are, or have been for the last few seasons, the Scotland's determinative yo-yo club up and down like well, maybe I won't go down that far. Um, so well done, taking over the mantle from Hearts. Well done. Well done, indeed. Well done, lads. The sides have faced each other 109 times in the league at Pataudry. The Dons with a healthy 
healthy home advantage over the years. One sixty-two, drawn thirty-one, lost just sixteen. Uh, Aberdeen with a win percentage of fifty-six point eight percent. Indeed, Dundee's last win at Pataudry. <laughs> Mark, can you think when this is? Gav's already seen it, so he can read Ooh. it. No, I honestly no. can't remember. No. Okay. Dundee's last minute photography, it was all the way back in 2004. It's a 20-year anniversary. Maybe they'll be doing a DVD for it this season. <laughs> a 2-1 win for the Dens Park outfit that day. Uh, it was the final day of the season, goals from Milne, and then an injury time winner from former Dons alumni Stevie Lovell, which took the points back to the City of Discovery. And listen to this starting lineup. I mean, just, <laughs> just wait to hear this for Aberdeen. A real who's who. Ryan Essen and goals, Scott Morrison, Murray McCulloch. Murray McCulloch used to play against us at fives at goals while he was still fucking playing for Aberdeen back in the day. Kevin Souter, Andy Constantine, Marcus Heikinen, Ricky Foster, sorry, Richard Foster, Paul Sheeran, Lee Hines, John Stewart, and Chris Clark were the starting lineup. David Donald, Brian Prunty, and Stephen Tarditti came off the bench. This was Andy Constantine's debut for the first team. This this time, uh, sounds like a team that Aberdeen would put up for a Fraserburgh testimonial or something. But like, no, oh, what a shambles of a team. <laughs> Although, I'm now thinking, did that come off the back of... Was that a couple of days after we won at Parkhead? Um, With a similar I lineup? I don't think so. That was a little, that was a, no, because that would be the... That was the um, split. This is. This was the last day of the season. Yeah, we wouldn't have been playing Dundee in the top six. No, this was the last game of the season. Oh, wait, hang on. So I'm saying, we wouldn't have been playing Celtic in the bottom six. Yeah, you're right. Okay, sorry. Fuck me. Although, what I I will say, I do remember this game was, this is Steve Patterson's final game in charge of Aberdeen, and there was a proposed a walkout, early walkout. And I've seen enough (laughs) on social media to suggest there's enough in the way of protests being (laughs) planned for Dundee. So something about playing them at home. Oh, fucking hell. Talk about just, you know, fucking full circling all over again, eh? There we go. That's what we do on this show, even inadvertently. Jamie in the chat. McCulloch was my brother's PE teacher at Bridget Don Academy. Amazing. Jesus. Lovely stuff. Um, anyway, let's At talk least Murray McCulloch about... was playing football in his spare time and not basketball like Jet. True. True. Or at the casino. Like, <laughs> anyway, or just smoking tabs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, where are we? Dundee. There we are, Dundee. Pretty active so far in the January window. I wonder what that's Imagine like. Imagine that. Dara Costello, although he was a failure at St. Johnson, so maybe not that active. Owen Dodgson and Michael Mellon arriving on loan from Burnley, with whom uh, the Dark Blues have got this wee link-up happening there. Then also Ryan Astley arriving from Everton, and then Curtis Main after his uh, spell in India no. came to an end. <laughs> there we go, there's that. No. <laughs> Straight back down to earth. <laughs> the big loss, of course, for Dundee is Owen Beck, heading back to Liverpool after an impressive six months in Dundee. Generally all season, Doherty's favourite three five two, but he went 4-3-3 at Livingston. Clearly just recognised that Livingston are absolute horseshit and just fucking went for it. <laughs> Tiffany and Costello flanking back at Yoko. New signing, Mellon, and I, I enjoy this. He is the son of Mickey Mellon, obviously former Dundee United manager. He's now at Dundee. Um, lighting things up after he came on with 30 minutes to go. Two assists and a goal in those 30 minutes. So, looking forward to this on Tuesday night. Oh, God. Jesus. T- top goal scorer is Bakayoko on five. The player I was going to identify to look out for would have been Luke McCowan. He's had a really impressive campaign 
since Dundee have come back to the top flight. He was really impressive as well for them last season in the Championship. But he got two bookings on Saturday. So he's going to miss the game on Tuesday night. So even my thought about, I might just get to watch a decent player out the fucking no. window now, as it turns out. Uh, Dundee, six wins, seven draws, seven defeats from their 20 league games so far. Scored 28, conceded 32. Away from home, three wins, four draws, four defeats. That's the fourth best away record. In the division, 28 goals scored in the league. That's the fourth best in the league, averaging 1.4 goals per game, which is the third highest. Defensively, 32 conceded is the joint fourth worst. Guess who they're tied with? You, Rhodes. The idea. That's exactly it. Um, One of the more direct outfits in the league, they're absolutely happy enough to sit and hit on the counter. They'll try and make the most of the wide areas. Outside of St. Johnson, they are the least um, they're the team who are least likely to press you in possession in the division. That's Dundee in a nutshell, because I feel like I've done two previews already this season for Dundee that came to <laughs> fucking nothing. So I'm not going to waste any more fucking time about it. Gav, Mark, anyone yep. in the chat who's still there, your predictions for um, Tuesday night, I think it is, at Patology, for our first meet with Dundee. I'll just um, repeat what I've said in the previous previews for Dundee games where I think that Tony Dockery was an astute piece of business by by Dundee, uh, getting him as manager. We're talking about what, you know, Agnew, what Lee Sharp, what Alan Russell did when they were assistant managers at Aberdeen. You could tell um, that McInnes and Dockery were, it was a partnership and that was a big part of the success that they had here success they've had at Kilmarnock and to think outside the box and go for him I think Dundee have done very very well and you can see you know seventh place in the league feels to me that I think they're going to be pretty safe come the end of the season and that's a huge uh, success for them given that they've been up and down uh, as much as they have in the last few years Um, they've got some good players Um, they might be missing the boy McCowan but the guy Cameron that plays for them is awesome the one that I like They've got some experienced players in the likes of Joe Shaughnessy and Trevor Carson. We can we can laugh as much as we want about Curtis Main, and we know how poor he was at Aberdeen, but he, generally speaking, seems to do pretty well against us. So I'm not looking forward to him coming on, and we'll see if it's McDonald or Jensen or Devlin or, you know, maybe, maybe we'll give Jack Millen his centre-back debut against uh, this against Curtis, and we'll see what happens. Um, difficult game. Very difficult. Um, very difficult. Lemon difficult. I'm going to say, I'm going to call it a 1-1 one, one draw. 1-H. One well, I noticed there in your preview, Gary, that you said that they exploit the wide areas. Now, as we've already said, we are girthless. We have absolutely no width. So this is going to be problematic for uh, our usual midfield five of five central midfielders. So I have a very funny feeling that it's going to be extremely nervy. Um, I think we'll do our usual. We'll have plenty of the ball for the first half hour or so, not do too much with it. Um, and I, I've got a funny feeling we're going to get beat 1-0. I just I, I cannot see... I thought we I thought we would beat uh, St Johnson and frankly we should have lost that game um, had it had it not been for VAR and I don't think we were very good um, we were decent for the first half on Saturday and we still lost that game so I'm I'm gonna go one nil Dundee Curtis Main seventy eighth minute oh and just if that happens how 
how toxic is it going to get? So unless we score within the first, I don't know what, 15, 20 minutes? Seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh, I think the atmosphere is going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, I am really not looking forward to it at all. I mean, you, 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 you're saying that. You're saying you're like. Yeah, it's just it's just going to be horrific. I'm, I mean, if the, the pie of the month is exciting, maybe maybe that'll be all right. But um, yeah, I I one nil one nil Dundee, one nil Dundee. Um, I'm going to go with Gav. I think one one, and it'll be that kind of weird result where nothing will really change as a result of it. Um, I think we'll go a goal down to a Curtis main goal because that's just inevitable. Miofsky <laughs> will get one late on to uh, save us and then you know i think jamie is is it jamie or neil d who i assume is not neil doncaster uh cormac will come out breaks out say we all need to be patient before we ship a nine to celtic once again <laughs> Kelly, yeah. just giving the calm down gesture oh lovely yeah. stuff if i Kurt- hadn't mentioned it already fuck that guy is curtis mean gonna score from a penalty kick gav but he sends Kelly's the wrong way <sighs> It's, it's it's a possibility. Yeah, I think just, it's a very good possibility. I think Trevor Carson would send Kelrus the wrong way. <laughs> just to piss all over Gav, Kelrus is uh, going to save a penalty on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and if that happens, Gavin's head will just explode. Uh, it's, it'll be like the Jim McGrath thing all over again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's anyway. worth pointing out, even the one he saved, he dived the wrong way for. It's just not going to happen. It's true. <laughs> It's, it is true. It is true. Right, there we go. I think that'll do this for tonight. Um, thank you to everybody in the chat for joining us live. Um, I just read some of the comments. <laughs> Jamie just says they don't send Rooster the wrong way, he sends them the right way. <laughs> <laughs> and then Neil B. It's mad that Roos ever reaches Batoja with his ponchon for going the wrong way <laughs> indeed um i love it there we go that's a that's a that's a joyous way to finish things up thank you to everybody who stayed with us for an hour and 30 minutes of um beery chat about just the current fucking status of Aberdeen football club mark great to have you back with us mate really appreciate it thanks guys good fun as always cheers indeed that's gonna wrap us up for this <laughs> this episode of the abz football podcast thanks for joining us please remember like subscribe follow whatever you do on your podcast better choice there's gonna be a couple of episodes out this week because we're gonna be Really positive for once, and um, next out will be episode 152. This will make you feel old. Where we look back, it's the 10 year anniversary on the 1st of February of the League Cup semi final in 2014 against St. Johnson. So, we're going to look back on that. We've got some cracking memories lined up from some people to come and have a wee chat about that with us um, for later in the week. So, we'll do that, and then episode 153 will follow after that, which will be looking back at Dundee and then previewing who do we play next weekend? Celtic. I believe, yes. Southgate Pottery live on Sky. That'll be fucking, fucking fun in games. There we go. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand for you, everyone. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with the Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days.
Come on, you rats.